0: We welcome all you that have joined us live around the globe. Want to welcome Vietnam? We have uh, picked up another country. I think that makes fifty-five that we know about. Welcome all you that are with us tonight, those that are in the building, and those that'll get this podcast. Uh, we thank you for joining us to uh, proclaim God's word and to stand for His word during these last days. That's why this—I've uh, mentioned this in a while—but that's why that hourglass is here not to uh, time my preaching. <laughs> I'm like that preacher said, you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Does not mean a thing. <laughs> so, uh, But that hourglass here is to remind us that we're living in the last days and time is short. And I, uh, from time to time, I like to revisit this uh, before we get into the book of Job tonight. Uh, this is a very powerful prophetic word we got on September the 26th, 2020. And it's something that I think we're seeing unfold. And this is the word the Lord gave us. America has missed its day of visitation. Therefore, she will begin to grope as men in and, and Sodom at Lot's door. The righteous will be strengthened, but the wicked will wax worse and worse. I think we're seeing that. Going forward, value will be in things that sustain life. America has lost its way in leading the world to the throne of God. The protection will remain for those who fully trust in the Lord, but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and the systems of this world. God is coming to the earth and the earth has not made proper preparation. Soon the world will begin to shake and will start its final descent toward its appointment with its creator. And then true justice will appear, and no one will be able to escape the appearance of God's glory and His justice. We're living in the last days, and I think it's clear when you read Luke 21 that we are that final generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but Paul said we'll know the season, and that we're not in darkness like the world is that that day would catch us off guard. And Jesus said in Luke 21 at the end of it, He said, don't get caught up in drunkenness, carousing, and cares of this life so that that day catches you off guard. So the Bible is filled with warnings in that, in that particular passage there on the end of time. And Jesus tells us that when Jerusalem is no longer under the control of the Gentiles, goes back under the control of the Jews, then he gives us a few more signs, and then he says, know that this generation will not pass till everything's finished. So I grew up hearing that the, the, the hourglass was turned over in 1948. I believe the hourglass got turned over in 1967. Now obviously 1948 had to happen before 1967. Israel had to go home. That's part of the prophecies that the prophets gave. But if you'll read your Bible carefully, you'll find out that most of the end of time, the prophetic things they're talking about have to do specifically with Jerusalem. The Bible says Jerusalem will become a stumbling block to all nations. So used to, and I'm sure it's probably still the case, uh the overwhelming majority of things discussed at the UN are usually about Israel. You've got a, a state over there about the size of Maryland, uh, and that 50% of the UN's time is spent in trying to push back against Israel most of the time. Why would that be? Because that's God. That's the. All, I know people like their hometowns, and people like whatever, uh, cities you may enjoy but the only city in the world that god put his name on is jerusalem he didn't put his name on danville he didn't put his name on lexington or louisville or even new york city the only city in the world where god put his name on it was jerusalem there's going to be a new jerusalem someday come down god's favorable to jerusalem but jerusalem is not just for the jews it's for all of those who named the name of the Lord and follow him. So we're getting ready to see the Lord come back. We, we think about that this time of year because the Feast of Trumpets is coming, uh, kicking off on the 15th actually, and we'll go through the morning of the 17th. So it's parts of three days on our calendar. And it represents the Lord coming back for his church for us to be ready. So in the days when Israel would celebrate the the Feast of Trumpets, they wouldn't know the day nor the hour. And this is where people mess their theology up. Two things, and this is a pet peeve of mine, so don't start with me on this. People who come and try to talk to me about what they know about the Bible, you need to read your Old Testament too. If all you do is read your New Testament, or you go to one of those churches where they preach John 10 every week and don't share nothing else in the Bible... You're uneducated. The New Testament church has abandoned the Old Testament, and we should have never done that. First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. So we have people who don't study the Old Testament who will say things like this. At the last trump, that's what Paul said, right? Then they'll run over to Revelation and try to find the last trumpet, and they'll build their whole doctrine on that, which is foolishness. Well, that's when the Lord's coming back. That's a life born in the book of Revelation. But you got to understand, your Messiah, and this makes some people angry, but your Messiah was a Jew. He lived like a Jew. He was raised as a Jew. He was born a Jew. And so everything about the Jewish faith, although they missed him, Primarily as a nation, not all of them, obviously some of the disciples and many people believe. That stuff was types and shadows of the reality of what Jesus was going to do for us. And so as we approach the Feast of Trumpets and then Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, these are all about the triumph of God, the judgment of God, the settling of things, the finality of God, so we understand. It. So a Jewish person when the Feast of Trumpets would come, they would not know the day nor the hour because us Gentiles are bad about messing things up or trying to make things the way we want them. But the Jews use a lunar calendar. They don't use a solar calendar, especially when it's prophetic things. So they use a 360-day year. We have 365 one-fourth because we can do things better. (laughs) Man can. So we think. That messes... The, that's why the Feast of Trumpets may come at the beginning of September one year. It may come, like in this year, it's in the middle. It may come at the end. So you can't find the day. You don't know the hour. But what the Father was supposed to do, and there's a wonderful teaching here for all of us. The Father was supposed to gather his when he saw the moon get right, and he knew that the Feast of Trumpets was near, although he didn't know when the shofar would be born or the trumpet, however you want to say that. He would get his family ready and they would go and get within proximity of where the priest would sound the shofar. Because when he sounded that shofar, they had to move up and assemble with the rest of God's people. It's a beautiful picture of what's going to happen at the rapture. We're going to assemble with the rest of God's people. Those that are dead in Christ will rise first, Paul said then those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And if that don't set you wood on fire, your wood's wet. We ought to be excited about that. You want to stay here? Have you watched the news lately? <laughs> and you want to stay here? <laughs> and I know our biggest concern is the people we know who are not ready, right? Right? And here's something I want to say about that. We all have people that if the Lord came this month, that we would leave behind probably. And that's, we don't like to, I don't even like to think about that. Here's what I want to say to you. The Lord loves them more than you do. I don't care how much you love them. And you may love them deeply. The Lord loves them. He's going to do everything He can He said it's not His will that any perish, but that all come unto repentance. So God will do everything He can to win them short of making them. They won't be forced to come to salvation. So God loves them. He's got a plan. And he's He's after them the way He was after you and me. So we're close. all right. So we're having a trial run. We'll have a trial run. If the Lord don't come back this year, we think about... Making ourselves ready. So, you dads, you grandpas, whatever, focus your family on the Lord. Spend a little time that because when that shofar was blown, they had to go move up to assemble with the rest of God's people. When Jesus told us about this, he said, Pray that, he gave us that spiel I was giving you out of Luke 21. He said, Pray that you are counted worthy to escape all these things. So, he, he told us, he, that's the only time that we hear Jesus alluding to people escaping that time, right? It's called Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. All those are the same thing. And Jesus is talking about that there in Luke 21. It's the same messages in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And He's talking about that there. And he gives us a lot of clues. Another clue that you all think will will recognize real he said in, when that time gets here, the waves will be roaring. And hurricanes and all that stuff, you can go back if you will, and this hourglass kind of reminds us of that in this church. If you go back to nineteen sixty seven and start studying the earthquakes and, and see how they start taking off after nineteen sixty seven the magnitude and the the amount of them, and how they spread out in so many different places. Now it's not uncommon to have an earthquake anywhere. Well, we had one in Bergen, what, two years ago? Yeah. Had one in Chicago like six years ago. It's not uncommon. That's what Jesus said. There'll be earthquakes in diverse or different places. You know, we've been all, all been waiting for that big one, right? Out in California. There's a big fault line here that runs through Kentucky that the last time that fault line had problems, that it made the Mississippi flow backwards. So, we, And we got Japan and all these things going on. So we're there. We're in the middle of that. We're here. And Jesus said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape. But the reason... Paul unfolded the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church or the time when we leave here is because Jesus came for the lost house of Israel. He was trying to reel them in. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So primarily, the rapture of the church is going to be primarily made up of Gentiles. There will be some Jews in there. But that seven years of tribulation is to return Israel back to God. That's the... Focus. The focus is on the Gentiles now, but that focus is getting ready to shift back to Israel. And so that is why Paul was the one. He said, behold, I show you a mystery, right? We shall not all sleep, but will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? Alright, let's go back. That's all. That was the first sermon. That one's free. I'm charged for the second one here. Let's go to Job chapter 18 and pick up where we left off. <clears throat> I want to make sure we keep our attention because this is the time of year we want to stay focused on that because that's what this was used for. Now, Bill Dad's going to step up to the plate. He's one of the other guys that's been sitting around the campfire, quote unquote, with Job, just listening and interjecting. These guys are... The young guy's coming down the road, but here he's got some things to say to Job. And this thing's getting pretty contentious now. Then Bildad the shoe-out answered and said, How long uh, till you put an end to words talking to Job? When you going to stop talking? Gain understanding and afterward we will speak. Why are we counted as beasts? So they're feeling the tension from Job and he's been feeling it from them and regarded as, regard as stupid in your sight. That's how there's, this thing's getting out of hand a little bit here. And he says, You who fear, you who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or shall the rock be removed from its place? The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and the lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsels cast him down. For he is cast into the net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The, now this is true, right? This is what happens to the wicked, right? We read Psalm 73 at one point in this study, how the Asaph was there, like he was thinking, I'm trying to serve God, my life's uh, horrible trouble, and the guys that aren't uh, serving God, they seem to be doing fine, right? And everybody's probably had that thought at some point in your walk. And then he gets to the end of Psalm 73 and he says, yeah, but I went back to the house of God, which basically meant I went back to where God's word was at and I realized what was going to happen to those guys. He said, God's put them in slippery places. They're coming down. And so that is true. The problem with this kind of attack on Job is it's not true about Job. And Job is getting in a cycle here because he's trying to, figure out what's wrong too. And he can't really find anything that's wrong. And so there's just a big mess going on. It says, in verse 9 says, "...the net takes him by the hill and the snare lays hold of him. Uh, a, a noose is hidden for him on the ground and, tap, and a trap for him on the road. Terrors frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved and destruction is ready at his side." It devours patches of his skin. The firstborn of death devours his limbs. He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent. So he's really you know, going at Job pretty hard here. They parade him before the king of terrors. They dwell in his tent who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his ground. So Job's lost everything. He's in a situation here to where these guys, they can't understand why a man that appeared to be so good is having so much trouble. And we got to be careful of that too. you got to be careful not judging people and not knowing what's going on. Only God knows how many seeds are in the watermelon, right? And I shared a couple examples of that with you last week with the, with the waitress and the guy on the train. It says, they, uh, Brimstone, has got his roots are dried out below, his branch withers above, the memory of him perishes from the earth, and he has no name among the renowned. He has driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. Now you see, if we, if I took you to a couple of guys in the Old Testament, Absalom, they say, built a statue of himself and Jacob dug a well. Jacob had humility. Absalom had pride. Nobody, the statue of Absalom's gone. Who knows where it, it's disintegrated. But Jacob's well's still there today. If we'll humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. But if we... St- st- put ourselves up, we'll be brought down. That's how the scripture teaches in both Testaments. If we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. If we humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. And he says, uh, "Those uh, he has neither son nor posterity among his people. That's a real cut on Job there. Nor any, any remaining in his dwellings. Those in the west are astonished at his day. Those in the east are frightened. Such Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Now they seem to be falling short of just pointing, calling Job out. But they're saying all these things uh, because they just don't know how a guy that appeared to have the world by the tail and be on God's side could be brought as low down as he's, as he's been brought. But there's something prophetic going on here. What if you'd have been there that day? I know all of us in here say we charge hell with a squirt gun, right? But as I get a little older and get a few more bumps and bruises, I realize what a hardship it was for those people living under the law to just turn and follow Jesus oh we'd all done it right we wouldn't have been influenced by our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and the law of Moses we wouldn't have been influenced by any of that would we we'd have just saw Jesus coming down the road before he even said anything we said we're we're going to you maybe not been that easy but here's what Job's doing Job looks like a wicked man to the onlookers. The same thing a bunch of people probably thought the day Jesus was crucified. Because they all knew about Barabbas. Most of them did. And they knew those two guys on the crosses were bad guys. So how bad do you have to be to be put in the middle of that? How bad? Now, you, you know, everybody didn't know Jesus, right? Everybody wasn't followers of His. And, and there were people on the fringes thinking, how bad does he have to be <laughs> for them to turn Barabbas loose and hang him? We just assume that everybody had a Bible back then. The Bible wasn't even written back then. They're there in the flesh, and people thinking, hey, this guy, they've beat him. Wonder what he's done. Hear that? Wonder what Job's... Uh, Job is not only a, a benefit to us as we suffer so we can not feel sorry for ourselves because none of us have had it as hard as Job, but it's also something prophetic to see the righteous dude get persecuted. And here comes Jesus up the street. People thinking, man, you can't... What Isaiah say? said he'll be beaten so badly you won't even recognize him. Imagine going into the praetorium that day, having them punch you, You probably your face is swollen by the time they're doing that, spit all over you, then take a crown of thorns, shove it on your head, blood's probably pouring out, you know how I many blood vessels are in your scalp, and then take you to a block and whip you till your organs are exposed on your back, and then lay an old rugged, cross on your back and tell you to head up the hill now he had his followers but he had the onlookers he had his accusers and then you got those or those people in the uh, we call them tweeners right what are they thinking they're probably thinking how did barabbas get out and how did this fella they don't know him as the son of god how did this fella wind up on the cross He must really be horrible for them to let him go and him hang. So Job's writings are a picture for us to get ready because that's how they treated Jesus. he, He died with the sinners, the Bible says. He died like a sinner, yet he didn't have one sin. So, Job is also an example, kind of like Jonah was. The, Jesus references Jonah. Remember that? He said, The Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth three days, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. So, all those are pictures, types, and shadows of the Messiah. Your Old Testament's full of good stuff. But you need to read it and understand that from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation the design behind the whole Bible is to teach you who Jesus is and what He will do for you and I and what He has done for us. That's why the Bible was written. And so when you see Genesis 1, it says the earth was without form and void and darkness covered it. Right? That's us before we are born again. We are are without form. We're void inside. Darkness covers our life. Then the Bible says... The Spirit moved and light came. And here comes the earth and that's us, right? We're without form. We're void inside. Darkness cloaks us. Then the Spirit moves and draws. And then the light of the world offers us eternal life. Here he is, Job, suffering to show us a picture of the Messiah and his sufferings as to come. Now Job's coming back to the plate. To his turned back at the podium. Then Job actually said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? <laughs> These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if, and if I indeed have erred, my error remains with me. Now, are you close enough to some people? And I've even told some people this. That if somebody said something to you negative about them, I wouldn't believe it until I heard it out of their mouth. And that's kind of relationship Job thought he had with these guys, right? And he, he, he's like, you guys just keep pile me on. If indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know that, when that then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with His net. And if I, now listen, I'm going to give you some understanding of that in a minute. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not hurt. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. There's a psalm that says, He weakened my strength in the way. Now let's, let's remind ourselves Job's not a perfect man, but he's a good man and he's God's man, but he's not perfect, so God's probably doing stuff inside of him. But God has a man here that He knows will not walk out on Him. That's why He pointed him out. And so far, and we know the end of the story, but He's not walking out on Him, right? He's struggling because He's human. And He's battling like any of us have battled in our lifetimes at at times. But He's recognizing He's not... He's trying to figure out why He's going through this. He don't understand. So He's battling internally internally. He don't need His friends piling it up on Him. But they're doing it. He's fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. He set the darkness in my path. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope He has uprooted like a tree. Now Jesus experienced the flesh for us, right? He's in the garden and He's saying, Oh, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, right? And then He comes to that conclusion of nevertheless not my will but thine and he walks out of there on that right then he 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 he's praying he feels the weight on the cross my god my god why hast thou forsaken? he feels the weight of the flesh and the bombardment job's in the middle of that and and jesus even had it harder than job the way he was treated He breaks me down. My hope's uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled His wrath against me. He counts me as one of His enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. He has has removed my brothers far from me. And my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed. My close friends have forgotten me. Listen up here now. I'm going to take you somewhere in just a minute. Those who dwell in my house and maid servants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. Remember, Job's hurting physically and everything. My breath is offensive to my wife. The old King James says it's strange to her, so she's not really wanting to be around him. And I am repulsive to the children of my own body, so whatever grandchildren he had left, Everybody, because by this point, his grandchildren, even though he lost his children, by this point, his grandchildren are probably hearing everybody say, Job's a bad man. Imagine what that's doing to them. The grandpa they watched be eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Everything Job had done good and helped everybody and blessed so many people, created so many jobs and everything for people. Been such a, now they're hearing their, their grandpa. Must be at odds with God. So everybody's walking out on him. Now I'm going to... He says, "Even Even young children despise me. I rise and they speak against me. So the neighborhood children, everybody's doing that. All my close friends abhor me and those whom I have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. One of my pastor friends in Florida, one time he he dressed up really bad and he put a lot of stuff on him that made him smell really bad. (laughs) And he disguised himself and walked into his own church. And he was disappointed in what he found. People stayed away from him, pushed away. How do you think Job's feeling walking down the street? Now, life will change right here. One of the things that Job keeps bringing back up, now he's going to stay with God. We all understand that. But one of the things he keeps bringing up is he realizes, and this keeps coming out of his writings, that God is in control. All right? If you'll come to that place right there in your life, I want to be a little transparent here, okay? That's one of the things God was doing in me when we, Jared, my oldest son, and his wife, Tori, when they lost that first girl. After almost two years. (sighs) That was a battle for all of us. And I really struggled with that. But this was what God was teaching me. That right there. And then he took me another step of that last year in Texas. He wants me to live like this. Now I'm going to say something. I'm going to say a couple things to you. I want you to hear them. I'm not saying them any other way than just to be a good brother to you and hand them off to you. If you really believe that, that will keep you from getting offended. This is where Job got to and David in the Old Testament. David came into town one day and Doag or whoever it was, was up on the hill, as they say where I'm from, was cussing him till a fly wouldn't light on him. And his armor bearer said, hey, they can't do the king like that. Let me go up there and take his head off. And David said, no. said he couldn't do that if God didn't allow it. You can't get there overnight. I'm not suggesting that. But if you can get where Job and David lived, and that's what God's been doing in my life, because if you can get offended, you're going to get it in these last days because they're coming after us. You cannot get offended. If you get offended, you won't be worth a nickel to God. Jesus was able to stay above offenses and they treated Him like an animal. This is important for us to get to this place in our life where we believe and understand that God is in control. When when God started really working this into the fabric of who I am over the last three years, it's changing my life. It will keep you from being offended because you know that nothing can't happen unless God is doing it, right? He's in charge. He is in charge. So you can't say this. You, if you're going to believe and say that God's in control, you can't say, well, I could go further than God if it wasn't for my wife. What? Your wife's stronger than God? Do you realize what? You, you can't have it both ways, buddy. You can't say God's the most powerful wor- person in the universe or the being in the universe and then say, but that keeps me from being all I can. What? You mean that, whatever that is, fill in the blank with it. Well, my job, what? Your job's stronger than God. Your aunt's stronger than God. That's you and I. You and I can have as much of God as we want, you can go after Him. All day long, you can get as much. You can't say, "Well, I'd be more for God if, if what? If what? What's stronger than God?" Would somebody point that out to me? What's what in your life has the ability to overthrow God? Nothing, and that's what Job and David begin to understand more and more as they walk with God. That's what He's been doing in my life for the last three years. It will keep you from being offended if you believe that God is in control. If you're supposed to have that job, God will open that door. He, nobody can open the door unless, uh, no, nobody can go through the door unless God opens it. And nobody can shut the door that God's, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> nobody can open a door that God's closed, right? And nobody can close a door that God's opened. So God, if you're trusting in God and believing He's in control and leaning on Him, then He's going to lead you. And just like David, nothing can happen in your life that God don't allow. And that He's not in charge of. We should see that clearly with Job. Even though he's going through a lot, guess who is calling all the shots? God is. Because he He said to the devil, He said, hey... You can't do this, right? You can do this. You can't do that, and so then those who he said those are all against. He said, "Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does, and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. He got that. He got that request answered. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book." Uh, and they were engraved on a rock with an p- iron pen and lead forever. Do you, the world, they don't want to give God credit for nothing. I've, this has been something I've been like a dog with a bone. I've been studying languages and where they came from. And we know we got the the, the Phoenicians got the credit for the alphabet, which is a lie. And they won't, they don't want to talk, The world wants to take credit away. Do you mean to tell me that God wrote some kind of language on those rocks and handed them off to Moses and said, good luck trying to read it, buddy. Moses already knew how to write before the Phoenicians. Now they know that the Phoenicians were influenced by the Hebrews. Because Job was writing before Moses. Moses. Look what Job's telling us. He's talking about lead. He's talking about a pen. He's talking about writing utensils. You know what? You have to hand the devil his due. He's took the credit away from God for everything in this world. I said, how'd you like to be God and create everything and get credit for nothing? But that's not just with the flood and creation, but even like with languages and stuff. God God wasn't communicating to Moses and Moses was like, what? What do you think? What's that mean? What's that letter? You know, God, we, I, I, I venture to say, everybody says what the preacher thinks. I'd say Adam and Eve were writing in the garden. Uh, and I, God, this was the, the purest stock until the Messiah came, straight from God, no bad ancestry that didn't know how to spell. And God just put Adam in the garden, communicated with him. Communicated with him. Adam wasn't a caveman. That's what they want us to believe. So they don't want us to understand that these people were writing before the Phoenicians. That's all the devil's plan. He wants to strip God out of everything he can. From writing to creation, to the flood, and to the end of time. And you know what? Most of the world is bought into it. And most of our higher education is bought into it. That there's no God. And as long as there's no God, here's the ultimate end of the world and human nature. The reason they don't want a God, they don't care who come up with writing. They don't care about the creation and the flood. The reason they want a world without a God is so they don't have to be accountable to no one. That's why this world or humanity wants a world without a God. He said, my words were written. And he got that prayer. And this is... He said they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Woo! Somebody give God praise for that. Now, let's be honest. Remember Psalm 73? He was going through all that. He was mad at everybody, probably frustrated with God, thought all the wicked people were doing good, and I'm having a a hard time. And then he says, remember what he said a few weeks ago? He said, how foolish was I. He said, I went back to God's place where his word was at. How foolish was I? Have you ever done that? You get all frustrated about something. You think, how crazy was that? Why? God's, and God, he's so good to us. And he comes through. He j- Here's the problem we have. He don't wear a watch. Right? How about you pray for your child and wait 40 years? Huh? God won't wear a watch. I've sent him one for Christmas for the last 10 years, and he sends it back every time. God will not wear a watch. That's our problem. We, we, we are so, we've been so meshed in our culture that we think everything ought to be like a drive through McDonald's window. Well, better than that Chick-fil-A, right? They got the most in line all the time, and they're the quickest all the time, aren't they? Maybe because God's on their side and they don't work on Sunday. I don't know. But they, they that's how we get trained that way, right? Microwave, 90-day CD, and french fries at McDonald's right now, right? So having this moment of saying, I'll just wait on the Lord. Those that wait up on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those that wait... On the Lord. Sometimes we're too childish, right? We don't want to wait. We don't want to wait. We don't want God to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. (sighs) Something in the oven usually tastes better than something coming out of the microwave. And God has a plan in our lives, and He's working that out in us. He said, My Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. Now, that's theology. Right? He said, I know he's alive, and I know he's coming back to earth. Right? He, in the last days. That's prophetic. When, when, they, when Jesus came and said, they said, oh, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. He said, well, Lazarus going to rise again. They said, now listen, this is for the New Testament was written. This is for any of the stuff Paul had written in. But she said to him, said, we know he'll rise in the last day. They done, that's good theology for somebody didn't have a New Testament. She said, we know he's coming and rising in the last day, right? So they had good theology. Job understood there's going to be an end of time. He understood that Jesus is going to come back in the last days on the earth. He knew there's going to be a final day. They understood all that. These guys aren't dummies. Enoch walked and took talk with God. He had some wonderful knowledge, and he, he had a special place with God, and he had his own personal rapture. Now, you got to be close to God to get your own personal rapture. So if I ain't here tomorrow, no. <laughs> I ain't that close. They knocked me down in Texas said, get him up. We're not ready for him. <laughs> Fix him up and leave him down there. <laughs> we don't want him. So, he said, uh, He's, my Redeemer lives and he shall stand on the earth. And after my, <laughs> listen to this, after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Somebody ought to give God praise for that, amen? What I like about what we're seeing with Job, he's wrestling, man. He's duking it out. He don't know whether to blame God, blame himself, or get mad at his brothers. He's battling all that, but he comes back, right? He knows his Redeemer's alive. He knows he's coming back. And he knows whenever he dies, he's going to live again. Praise the Lord. And that's how we got to live, and we're coming into the last days here, where it's going to be easy to get offended by the world. They're go- they're going to hate us more and more. True believers, you, you be a true believer. The Bible says, "Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." Doesn't say you might. You're going to, right? It's automatic. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities to be offended. But we got to stand for God. Remind yourself of what Job's done. Remind yourself of what Jesus' done. Remind yourself of what Paul's done, what Ruth did, what Esther did when she took her own life into her own hands and walked into the king without without him beckoning her. She took her life into her own hands, sacrificing for others. He said, man, uh, I like this stuff. He said, my flesh I'll see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and yet not another, how my heart yearns within me. Have you had that day? He's probably, these were probably weeks and months by now. Have you had that day? Where I've had these days. Lord I'm just, come on. <laughs> I'm ready to come on up there with you. Anybody had a day like that? This week? <laughs> if you should say, how shall we persecute him? Since the root of the matter is found in me, be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know <clears throat> there is a judgment. So he's reminding himself and everybody around him, there's going to be a finality to all this. And that's what we read here with this prophetic word we got. Then Zophar, the name of Thad answered and said, and other guys turned into the podium, Therefore my anxious thoughts make me answer because of the turmoil within me. I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short? That's a true statement. That's a true statement. And the joy of a hypocrite is but for a moment a true statement. Though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens, and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will restore his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but he will lie down with him in dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth, yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches. He vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras, and vipers' tongues will slay him. He will not see the streams, the rivers of flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he labored. He will not swallow it down from the proceeds of business. He will get no enjoyment for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house, which he did not build because he knows no quietness Now Job didn't do any of this because he knows no quietness in his heart. But these are true statements. He will not save anything. He desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore, his well being will not last. In his self sufficiency, hear up. In his self sufficiency, he will be in distress. Now, that's the challenge we have as Americans. We're taught to be self made people, and nothing wrong with that to a point. I wish more people were like that. Uh, But sometimes that can interfere with our faith life of waiting on God, letting things unfold instead of trying to just do them ourselves and getting ahead of God, getting in front of God. I'll tell you, the story of Watchman Nee, I I recommend you read Watchman Nee if you get your hands on this stuff. This Chinese Christian who was tortured, and they said he wrote the uh, commentary on the Song of Solomon while he was being tortured. A love story. How much he loved the Lord. I think they pulled his fingernails out, had him in, submerged in water. He's a horrible. He went through a lot of stuff. <clears throat> but he had a, had a vision when he was a young man. He was still under his parents' authority. <clears throat> he had a vision when he was a young man. And God showed him this island. And these people needed to hear the gospel. So he went to his parents and he said, I had this vision, I need to go to this island and share the gospel with them. And they wouldn't allow him to. And so they said, you know, when you get grown and you're out from under and you can able... So he said and through the course of his life, later on he wound up on that island. <clears throat> and he said that he went to the tribal leader of that island. And he said to him, he, he said he was there to share the gospel. He said, I would have been here sooner. And he told him about the dream. He said, I had a dream when I was, I think he was 12 years old. And he said, my parents wouldn't let me come then. I was too young. They said, Whatever and the guy on the island said, it's a good thing you didn't come then. And he said, why? He said, because there weren't any people living here then. God's already been around the corner for you and I get there. So see, getting ahead of God ain't no count. It don't make you more spiritual. It, and you don't want no credit anyway. If you get credit, it'll just spoil you and, and start proud. We want to make sure God gets all the glory for everything we do. Give him all the glory. He'll share it back with you, but make sure you give him all the glory. What happened to Herod when he stole God's glory? He died right there on the spots, and the worms eat him right there on the spot. So make sure, don't steal God's glory. Let all the glory go to him. Give it all to him. If something good happens into your life or you get used by the Lord and some level of fruit comes from that, make sure you give God all the glory. He'll share it back with you at some point, but don't be stealing his glory. That's a surefire way to get in trouble. And so he says, he says, he's he's given him his spiel. He says, his place, his children will seek the favor of the poor. He will fly away like a dream. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, it's going to be bad. It's going to be like these cobras, this poison. He's oppressed and forsaken the poor. He sees their house because he knows the quietness in his heart. Verse 20, he will not. He will not save anything he desires nor left to him to eat. Therefore, his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. All of us are going to come to places. Some of you, I've been there a time or two already in my life. We're all going to come to places in our lives where nobody can help us but God. Your best friend won't be able to help you. It's designed that way. Your life is about your faith. Listen, you know how many people I've saved since I've been a pastor? Zero. I ain't saved nobody. I don't save nobody. All I do is plant water. God has to give the increase. What God wants in us is our faith to grow. That's what He's interested in. He's responsible for the results. You don't heal nobody. I've prayed for people and they've got healed, but I didn't do the healing. I was just obeying and believing. It took the Holy Spirit to heal them. I've prayed for some people and they got sicker. What's wrong with them? Nothing. We don't control that. Quit worrying about results. That's not our jurisdiction. In the book of Acts, the Bible says, God adds to the church daily such as should be saved. You open your mouth. You let God use you. You plant, get your water pitcher out, get your seeds out, plant and water, and then let God do the increase. He's the one that's responsible for results. You read uh, the guy that went to, he was blown to a church that believed in uh, election, right? And this is a true story. So they were trained. <laughs> and so this one guy went out to witness and he come back to the professor and he said, oh my goodness. He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, well, I've been witnessing. And he said, I think I led somebody to the Lord that ain't supposed to be him. Oh. That's not how this works. <laughs> you share, you plant, you water, and leave the rest of it up to God. You can't, and if you can force somebody to get saved, it ain't worth nothing, no way. It's about relationship, right? Here's his, I'm going to give you two things before I close. And this is hard, hard to hear. And it's not personal, but it's still hard to hear. How many of us would have said, Yeah, Judas, you carry the money bag. Have you got that much confidence in your father? Jesus knew he was a thief and still let him carry the money back. That's some confidence, ain't it? We'd call that unwise, wouldn't we? We'd have probably went to Jesus and said, now why in the world? We saw Judas with the money bag. Everybody in town knows he's a thief. What are you doing? Think about it. God is in charge.